0: Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast and today we've got a special treat we have with us an author Sarah Lynn Richard who actually we have to give a shout out to Michelle Cox who a couple episodes ago after this is done you go listen to her because Michelle connected me to so many new authors and Sarah Lynn is one of them so Sarah Lynn welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much I'm excited to be here.
0: We're excited to have you. Let's just start kind of from the beginning of what is your writing origin story?
1: Well, I think I've wanted to be a writer since I was about five or six years old. I was an early reader, and I've always loved books. And sometime in those very early years, I thought to myself, I can do this too. I want to make books. When I was in high school, I had two English teachers who singled me out and said, you should be an author. And one of them, she was the hardest teacher I ever had. She assigned me contests. Every single contest that she could find for writing, she forced me to enter. I don't know if it was because nobody ever enters them, but I won them all.
0: Oh, wow. I
1: think it's just that nobody takes the time to enter these contests. So I might have been the only person who entered. Anyway, it gave me a lot of confidence that I could become a writer and that I had some innate talent. And I came home, and I told my parents, I'm going to be a writer. And my parents said, no, you're not, because that's not a real job. So my parents talked to me out of that. They said, you should either go into medicine or teaching. And Mm -hmm. I thought about it. I really wanted to go into medicine. I have the heart of a doctor, but I don't have the stomach for it. I faint whenever I see blood, and I thought that was not going to be a good mix (laughs) for me. So I went into education, and it was kind of reluctantly. But once I got there, I really fell in love with teaching, and I went into administration and school improvement consulting. And all that time, I was collecting stories. I just have this bank of stories in my mind that I want to tell, and I hope I have enough time to tell them. I didn't have the time when I was an educator to really devote to consistent writing, but once I retired from various ones of those jobs, I decided it's now or never, and I started writing. That's basically how I got to where I am now.
0: Right. Well, I don't know if this is too personal a question, but did your parents see your first book come out? No. Oh, so we don't know how they would react to that then.
1: I think they would be glad that I'm fulfilling a dream that I always had. Yeah. I think they'd be very happy about that. Plus, I did accomplish a lot of things in
0: the other career and made a mark on the world in that way too. Right. So it's okay to be an author once you've retired. Well, okay yeah. with them. You know, there's a thing about dreams that are deferred and mm-hmm. it can be very frustrating.
1: And a lot of people become bitter when their dreams are deferred and I just didn't want to become bitter. I wanted to bloom wherever I was planted and make the best of every adventure that I had. I think a lot of it has to do with attitude.
0: Right. Did you keep in mind or did you have in mind that I've got to go into the, we'll call it the education career just to umbrella it. We'll go into the education career. One day I could be a writer or was it just It was just like, look, I'm I'm focused on education now, and who knows what's going to happen. Or it was very specifically, once I retire, I could go back to writing.
1: I think I always thought of myself as a writer. During those years when I was teaching and working in schools, I subscribed to Writer's Digest magazine. I made up stories all the time. I started a novel, oh, this must have been in the 90s, and I didn't have much time to sit down and write but I would write a few pages and then leave it for maybe three months and come back and then I'd have to reread what I'd written and pretty soon I had written maybe a 100 pages well then that was all the time that I had was to reread it so I realized writing takes more than just having a good idea it takes time and discipline and a consistency that I really wasn't aware of at the time. But you have to be consistent. You can't wait too many days
0: between writing sessions or you'll lose your momentum. That's so true. You said that you had your two teachers who kind of, they obviously saw something in your writing. Would you say that in, in general or from what you were able to perceive? Within the English classes, you kind of had like, oh, she's the good writer in the class. Was it kind of like that? Or was just something very outside of class that your teachers were kind of encouraging you?
1: It was inside the class too, and and I guess it was inside of me also. It was a developing awareness that I had some kind of gift. Some people have a gift for math, and some people have a gift for athletics, and some people have a gift for creativity, or just different, everybody has a different gift, and writing happens to be mine.
0: When I was growing up, one of the students in my class, she was a really good writer, and I don't think she's a writer today. I don't know what she's tried, but it's just kind of ironic that she was the really good writer and I'm the one who's published. But I think it's because, like you said, a lot of people, even if they love writing and they're good at writing, they don't realize about the time commitment that goes into it. So if someone's busy with other things, they could have a great talent for it. But if they don't have a necessary time for it, then they might not see it to fruition.
1: It's like anything else. You have to have talent. You have to have practice. You have to have time. You have to have dedication. You have to have all of those things to really become a writer.
0: Yeah, that's true. And then all the years of the education degree, were you still then always still an avid reader, or was that something that also had to be...
1: Mm I've always been an avid reader. Just a voracious reader. I read in every genre. I've been teaching a class for 13 years to adults that's called Literary Tapas, and we read little pieces of literature, maybe four or five in one day. That class was meeting once a week, so I was trying to get ahead, you know, keep ahead of the class to pull up these pieces. So that was like five pieces of literature per week. That's a lot of reading.
0: Yeah. Well, you saying literature, is that short stories or excerpts from novels or it could be anything? Anything. Or? Anything, anything. anything wow. short.
1: But sometimes I was reading the whole book and just picking the first chapter or something.
0: Wow. Would you say that being the, the voracious, avid reader, well, did it help? Do you think it helped? And that it's part of the foundation of you being a writer?
1: I think reading and writing are like teaching and learning. They're so interwoven. They're really symbiotic with each other. I don't think you can be an outstanding writer if you're not an outstanding reader. To be a good writer, I think you have to read a lot, read widely, and examine what you read, and love the words and the phrases and the figures of speech and kind of immerse yourself in the beauty of language in order to find your own voice and your own style and your own clarity in order to tell your own stories. I think reading is essential for that. And vocabulary, too. I mean, the more you read, the better your vocabulary and the better your facility is with words.
0: Right. So once you did retire, at that point, you're like, great, I finally get time to write my book. Or I finally get time to write. What happened at that point? Did you know you were going to start to write a series? Did you know what you were going to write? Or just, I will have time with the computer and we'll see what comes
1: out. <laughs> I started with a children's book because I had a very naughty puppy, that, an old English sheepdog. Uh, she's not a puppy anymore, but she was the naughtiest dog we've ever had. We just didn't know what to do with her. She was so mischievous and so wild. As a coping strategy, I started making a list of all these things that she had done. And one day, we were taking her for a walk, trying to get all her bad energy out. And I said to my husband, I think I'm going to write a children's book about our dog Nana because... There are children that are like this, too, that need to learn how to be better, how to be nice, how to be controlled and behave well, and so I think that this could be a good message for kids, and that was how the book Naughty Nana got started, and that was my first published book. So that was my first experience with being an author, being with readers, being with families who appreciate the book and help publicize it, and so on. It was a great experience, but I wanted to write for adults also. So I started writing, and mystery happens to be one of my favorite genres. I joined a writer's critique group, and I had to have something to give them to critique. And I thought, which of my stories should I write first? Because I have all these stories in my head. And I thought, oh, I'm going to write about this elite community in the United States, and so it's all these wealthy people getting together and one of them dies. Oh my goodness. And so one of them had to have done it because it's kind of a locked room mystery. And I thought that would be a fun first book to write. So that was Murder in the 1%. And I had no idea at the time that that would be the beginning of a series. I just was going to tell a story. And I started off, I was really focused on the people who came to the party, all the guests and the party itself, I had all these ideas mapped out in my mind, but I never really thought about the detective until somebody wakes up dead, and then you have to have a detective. Right. So here comes my detective in my head, and and I put him on paper, and I give him several chapters, And then all of a sudden I realized one day, this is your main character. I know you're thinking about that party, but that party is not going on here. This book is about your detective. So I went back and reconfigured the beginning of the book to put the detective front and center in the book. And so the book came out, and people were reading it, and they weren't saying, what a great party. They weren't saying I was enchanted by what so-and-so was wearing. They loved the detective. So there was a clamoring for another Detective Parrot book, and I thought, okay, well, I can do that. That was the beginning of a series.
0: Wow. Well, Well, because first of all, once there's a murder at the party, the party's kind of over. Right. <laughs> now, where is the story going at that point? You know? So you only thought to make something a serious to write a second book once the first book was already out, correct? Right. Okay. Once you, you sat down to actually write the second book, were there things that you realized that because the first book was already out, it either constrained you in a certain kind of way, or, oh man, I wish I would have known about X, Y, and Z, and I would have set it up in the first book, or because these are, the focus is more on like the detective story, and not necessarily i the detective as a character, it wasn't such a conflict to set the second book up.
1: I'm going to give you a complicated answer to a complicated question. Okay. My second book was not the second book in that series. Because once I started writing, I just was like a writing fool. It's a maniac about writing. And so as soon as I finished Murder in the 1%, before it even was published, I was writing another standalone book. And that was A Murder of Principal takes place in a high school. Principal gets murdered. And so my mind was completely off of Murder in the 1% and that series. The idea for the series came up while I was writing the next book. So the next book in the series was actually my third book. So A Murder of Principal, I didn't publish that right away. There was a reason because of a lot of the things that were going on in schools. Oh, I just kind of held back on it for a while, and then I started writing the second book in the Detective Parrot series, and that one is A Palette for Love and Murder. I did think about some of the questions that you just raised about things that happened in Murder and the 1% that maybe I would have done differently if I had known it was gonna be a series, but that did not really hamper me in any way because the series The second book in the series is a completely new case. There are completely new characters who are different from the partygoers in the first book. The setting was the same, which is Brandywine Valley, Pennsylvania. And that is one of my favorite places in the whole country. It's a very important enclave for horse people people who raise horses and ride them and compete with them, and they go fox hunting, they have steeplechase. It's a whole community of horse people, but it's also a community of artists. You may have heard of Andrew Wyeth and his family. There's a huge art museum there called the Brandywine River Fine Arts Museum. Just a fabulous little museum. The first book is about the horse people. The second book is about the artists. So it really is a different story. There are some characters that bleed through both. I'm almost finished with the third book in that series. Those two are completely different characters in a completely different case. But there are some recurring characters. And I haven't really had any regrets. Once in a while, I'll get a note or a letter for, or an email from somebody who tells me that I shouldn't have done blah, blah, blah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that sticks out in my mind, I guess maybe this is the only thing, I had a man tell me that I c- couldn't have a female Navy SEAL Yeah. because I think he had been a Navy SEAL, and at the time that he was, there were no women yeah. Navy SEALs. I have a character who's a woman who's a Navy SEAL. So maybe that is something I would think about again. I didn't realize it was going to stand out. In my research, I had found women who were Navy SEALs. That's something I would think about if I were going to rewrite the series. But I'm not. And when you have a series, you're stuck with, like, you name a character, that's their name. Yeah. You're going to use that character again. You can't change their name. Right. That's just a fact of life. If you don't like it, you just don't write another book in the series. That's how you can end
0: up overthinking names sometimes, because you're like, how many times am I going to have to use the name? And then when you said also that when you decide that you're going to join a writing group, and that's what you did, and you're writing these books, was that just something, you just decided it, you had come across it, you had seen somebody somewhere, you heard about writing groups? Why did you decide to join the writing group? I have a friend,
1: this is my oldest friend, I think we've been friends since we were two years old. Wow. Wow when we were in high school and all these teachers were just saying that i should be a writer nobody was saying that she should be a writer she went to law school she became a, a lawyer and a judge and she wrote a book and it was a mystery and she published a book probably in the 70s in the 1970s way before i really put a pen to paper i happened to be in town she was having a book signing for her first book. So I went to it, and I bought her book, and she autographed it, and she said, whoever would have thought that I would publish a book before you? It was really kind of ironic. It was one of those funny situations like you mentioned earlier with your friend. So she had a writing group. I moved back to the city that I grew up in, and she was here, and she had a writer's critique group. And when I was publishing the children's book, I met with her to talk about it because I knew she had published books. So we went out to lunch and she said, why don't you join my writing group? And I thought, oh, maybe I will. I was kind of tentative about it. She said, come to the first meeting and just see if you like it. And then you can make a decision. So I went to the first meeting and I listened to all of their critiques and everything at the end. They said, do you want to join the group? And I said, I don't think so. I'm much more of a reader than I am a writer. Almost said no. And then I thought to myself, you know, how many times are you going to say no to writing when this is what you've always wanted to do? Yeah, exactly. And this opportunity may not come up again. So you need to take advantage of it and you need to just jump in. That was how I got involved in the writer's group and the writer's group is really what prompted me to start a systemic kind of writing.
0: And then when you did decide to publish what was the process then? Did you try to submit to to agents or independent publishers or did you say oh no I want to keep creative control I'm going to do it by myself? What kind of things were you thinking about and what choices did you make?
1: With the children's book that children's book came out in 2013. That was the time that all of the movie stars and the really big authors like James Patterson and John Grisham decided to write children's books. And children's books were selling like hotcakes, but not by unknown authors. And I met with a woman over the phone who worked for a children's publishing company. And she said to me, basically, if the company doesn't think
0: they can make $50,000 off of your book, they're not going to accept it. Well And
1: I'm thinking, how in the world could a brand new author break into this? Right. So I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to have to publish it myself. I formed a publishing company. I learned a lot. I took a couple of webinars from writer's digest i learned a whole lot about what's entailed with publishing with printing different kinds of printing printing by the way is
0: different for children's books because it has to be on coated paper yeah that's
1: right so it can't be done print on demand it has to be traditionally published if you're going to have that vibrant look to it one of the things that i learned is that you really need to have an experience illustrator if you're not an experienced published author. So I had a wonderful illustrator and she taught me a lot and we worked together. We talked over the phone three or four times a week for a year to put that book out. People don't realize that a 32-page book can take that much effort. That's right. But I learned a whole lot about self-publishing, and then when it came time to submit my manuscript or had a ready manuscript for the adult book, I didn't want to self-publish that. I just felt like I needed a different platform because it was a different audience. I started looking for an agent. I actually had a couple of agents offer me contracts. I had someone look over the contracts and recommend changes and in both cases the agents were not prepared to accept the changes. So I do not have an agent because I didn't want to sign the contracts the way they were and they didn't want to make the changes. So I have a really good friend who is a mid-level author and she is unagented and she said to me you don't really have to have an agent if things go right for you. So I decided to just Stop beating my head against the wall with agents and their contracts because I really wanted to get this book out. One of my friends was agented and she got a contract with my first publisher and she suggested that I submit my books to them. I did and they accepted them.
0: Yay! The switch from writing children's book to writing mystery and adult, was that a difficult switch in your head? It was, or you can be very uh, focused of, this is story I'm writing right now, so this is the way the language comes out. This is the story I'm writing right now, so this is the language that comes out.
1: Yeah, it was easy because the two genres are so different. Yeah. They're just so different, and there are some similarities because you're still telling a story, you still have a narrator, you still have a beginning, middle, and end, you still have some surprises, some mysteries, some clever language. There are some things that are similar, but many, many more things that are different. So the process really is different. Both of them fun, both of them rewarding, but I never was confused about what to do next when it was
0: One or the other. Yeah. And I know you said you you read widely. you say mystery is your favorite genre. Do you ever feel as you're you're kind of writing mysteries of how do we make sure that we didn't write what was already written? I always see X, Y, and Z happening in mysteries, but I'm going to make sure that my mystery doesn't have any of that in it. I guess you could say how much was what you were used to seeing influence your writing in the sense of, hey, I really like these kinds of stories, so I'm going to write this kind of story. Or why do they always do this? I will never do this in my story. (laughs) I don't know
1: how much I'm influenced by other mystery writers. And I don't know how standard my mysteries are. I'm not so sure that I stick to the genre all the time. Here's an example. Michael Connelly is one of my favorite mystery writers. And the reason that I like his work is that his character, Harry Bosch, is not just a detective. He's not one dimensional. He has feelings, he has a life, he has relationships. Some of them are good and bad. He has his moments where he's not perfect. He's a good guy, but he has some dark moments. To me, he's a very real character. That is very appealing to me. That makes me want to read every Harry Bosch book. But the other thing I think that Connolly does is make every single book different. You don't feel like you've read it before. There's always something new or different. About each one of them, and in those two ways, I think that Connolly has been an influence on me. Agatha Christie has been an influence on me, and in a way, James Patterson has because I got short chapters from him, I like his short chapters, I think it creates a, a fast-paced book, and I like to use short chapters whenever I can, for as much as I can. So I, I do pick up things like that, but I think that my mysteries, they don't always follow the pattern of having five suspects and having so many red herrings and so many clues and so many brushes with danger, and they're not formulaic. Sometimes they have romance in them. Sometimes they have a lot of humor in them. Sometimes they veer into women's fiction. This last one that I wrote, which is Bad Blood Sisters, It's a thriller, but it's also a romance, and it's also a hero's journey for a woman. And you could say that that's just a blended genre, but it's classified as mystery or thriller. I don't like to feel that I'm completely restricted to the mystery genre when I sit down to tell a story.
0: I just want to be able to tell the story the best way that I can. Right. Just for your own process, do you start writing before you know how the whole mystery is going to play out? Do you start with the suspect, build a mystery around them? How does that part of your process work as far as the mystery itself?
1: I always have in my mind a beginning and an end, not so much the middle. I may have a little bit of the middle, but a beginning and an end. The most important thing to me is the characters. Who are these characters? How do they relate to each other? What are their problems? What is their conflict? What is the main character's striving? What does the character want and need? And how is he going to go about trying to get that? So I have that in mind. And so the characters are completely clear to me and they're in my mind. And then they sort of act out. And I don't know, even like right now, I'm writing this third book in the series. And I'm at the very end of it, I'm barreling towards the conclusion, and there are still a few little things that have surprised me. And if I'm surprised, then I think my reader will be surprised. And so I like that. I like the spontaneity of being open to something new.
0: True. Again, for you personally, have you ever started off with someone, you knew this was going to be the guilty person, and then by the time you finish the book, you like him too much, so you switched them out and you made somebody else guilty? <laughs> I'll
1: say that I've thought about that, but okay. I haven't ever done it. Okay. It just I, But I actually yeah. thought about that yesterday. Oh. I thought that yeah, yeah. Well maybe what would happen if I changed it now? What if I changed it to this other person who actually did it? Then I thought, No, that just would be bogus you <laughs> know, I think my readers would think it was bogus, so
0: the setup kinda wasn't there as much kind of what you just said sometimes you don't realize you kind of know who your character is but then as you're writing them you realize that you might like or not like a character more than you expected once the writing actually is fully underway i just want to ask a technical question um about when you're writing about how many words are you writing what's your how long does it kind of take you to write these stories i think my
1: shortest book aside from the children's book my shortest book was about seventy-eight thousand words And my longest was about 110, I think.
0: Oh, my goodness. There's
1: a big difference between those, I think. Yes. But each story, I think, that's another thing I don't want to be pinned down on, that 78,000 isn't long enough. You have to go pat it and make it longer. No, I don't want to do that. If the story can be told effectively in 78,000 words, then that's where it should be. Um, I could make a better case for paring down a very long book. I I always think about my husband had to read Moby Dick when he was in high school. I didn't have to, but he did. And he said, that whole story could have been told in 100 pages. And he said, but it was 1,000 pages. I always think about that when I'm writing, that you don't want extraneous words that don't serve the story. Every chapter, every page has to... Serve the story like, so I'd rather focus on the story
0: than focus on the page count yeah I think the only thing that most people have to consider is if if you want to write for adults sometimes 50 or 60,000 words a lot of publishers don't think that's enough like you're saying if your story is told in that amount then you got to do its best for your story I guess yeah very good we always wrap up with a fill in the blank question of I really like it when and choosing one to be writers editors, publishers covers stories series. Anything. I really like it when X, and then I really don't like X. How would you kind of finish those sentences?
1: Well, I really like it when readers give me feedback about my books.
0: You're not talking specifically about leaving a review, but contacting you directly or both?
1: Well, yes, or writing reviews, maybe not necessarily directly, but when readers post things about my books or they write a review or they contact me or they bump into me and tell me how they reacted to a character, I'd love to get that feedback, even if it's not totally positive. It's just so nice to know that You've connected with the reader, that a reader has understood or maybe hasn't understood something that you wrote. It's like completing that communication cycle to know that your book has been read and heard. Like if, if the tree falls in the forest and there's no one to hear it, does it make a sound? Right. So I love getting feedback from readers. I guess I don't love wishing that they would give feedback and, you know, wishing for reviews and Not seeing the reviews roll in. I don't know why people are so shy about giving reviews because it's so easy to do.
0: I think some people think that if they can't write something that's brilliantly written, if they're not necessarily confident in their own writing, they feel, oh, how can I leave a review? I'm just a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an intellectual. I'm not a writer. How can I leave a review? And it's like the point of the review is to give your reaction to the product. And you don't have to be the genius, the intellectual genius who wrote 4,000 books to do that. It's just, You had an experience with a book. And that's all, just tell someone else about it. Especially if it's nice. (laughs) A two-word review, good book. Yeah. And that would be fine. (laughs) I think people are reluctant
1: to do that. And that makes me sad because the reviews are really valuable, not just to the author, but to other readers.
0: Oh, yeah. I check reviews for other books all the time. I do, too. Yeah, that's a good point. We're even ending off with a public service announcement. We encourage people to leave reviews, especially and particularly if it's a good review. Talk about things that you enjoy. Right. And podcasts need reviews, too. Well, thank you. I agree. (laughs) podcasts and individual episodes for example the one that's winding down right now you can give it a thumbs up and five stars and share it with someone that's right <laughs> be a good that's friend right. and share it well very good i know i well, will well thank you very good sarahlyn it was, it was really nice speaking with you well thank you
1: so much i really enjoyed talking to you too
0: this was a bonus episode of oh my word podcast featuring author sarahlyn richard to find out more about sarahlyn and her work please visit the link in the episode notes find out more about Oh My Work podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Work podcast. Or check us out at eltenabam.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.